0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Deep in Scripture. Thank you for joining us on this program. You're, we're coming to you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International, and uh, just in case this is the first time you've, you've uh, come across this program, first, thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to hear more about what we do, you can go to deepinscripture.com and you can arch- uh, look at all the archives of the old Deep in Scripture programs, you can also Send us a question at question at com. If you'd like to find out more about the Coming Home Network, you can go to chnetwork.org. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So thank you for joining us on this program. This series of Deep in Scripture episodes are focused on a theme called hard verses. And uh, what we mean by this is that when I was a pastor, I remember there were a variety of scriptures, and I, I broke them down into three groups, those that were... Uh, clear, those that were cloudy, and those that were stormy. The ones that were clear just made sense to me because of my particular tradition. I was a Presbyterian pastor. But there were other verses that weren't so clear. They were kind of stormy. I needed a, or they're cloudy. I needed an explanation. But once I got an explanation, then they fit within my tradition. But then there were some verses I stayed away from because I wasn't sure how they fit with my tradition. And so I called those stormy. And those are hard verses because, in fact, Depending on what tradition you come from, there are some verses that are nice and easy and clear. They make all the sense in the world. They don't seem to need any further explanation. And there are other verses that, boy, how do I understand these given my faith? And what you might find is that the church on that corner finds some verses that are hard, whereas the church on the other corner, those verses seem easy to them, but vice versa. So we're looking at verses like that, and we're honored to have join us today on Deep in Scripture, Ken Hensley. Ken, welcome to Deep in Scripture.
1: Thank you, Marcus. It's good. it's good to be here.
0: It's good to have you here Thank in you. front of me on the on the Skype deal to, to see you and talk to you about this work. And uh, I'm here in Ohio. You're way over on the on the left coast, and it's it's good having you with us today. Before we jump into what your hard verses that you'd like to talk about today give the audience if you would just a little background so they kind of know what what you're doing and where you're coming from
1: okay well i um i'm a graduate of fuller theological seminary in pasadena california Uh, i was ordained into the american baptist churches of the pacific southwest and i was a baptist pastor for uh, about 11 years three and a half years as an associate pastor and about eight years as a senior pastor and um, halfway through my time as a senior pastor, I found out that an old acquaintance from seminary, whose first name happens to be Scott, <laughs> had, had become had become Catholic, and uh, I, my mind was just blown uh, because of the way it happened. A gentleman came to me on a Sunday night at church, and he just said, "Pastor, I've been getting this th- this material from this group in San Diego called Catholic Answers." And he said, they sent me a set of tapes by somebody named Scott Hahn. I wonder if you can listen to this stuff and show me where the Catholics are wrong. And, um, you know, my jaw hit the floor because, as I said, about, about a decade earlier, Scott and I had met and kind of become buddies. And uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't talked to him in eight years. And I thought, there's no way on earth that this is that Scott. It's got to be some other Scott, you know. Well, it turned out it was him. I listened to his story, contacted him on the phone, and, and a journey began for me that lasted about four, four years, and then I came into the church a long time ago now, 1997.
0: All right. I mean, it really is amazing, Ken, that our journeys are so similar. Of course, I went to seminary with Scott, but it was the exact same thing that when I heard about his own journey, that's what was one of the key issues that got me started after I'd been a pastor for 10 years. But it's funny to think about that. I was a Presbyterian pastor, and you were a Baptist pastor. And there would have been scriptures that I would have found very comfortable and yeah. even key to my understanding of the gospel that would have been different than yours. And for example, our understanding yeah. of baptism would have been radically right. different. So what verse right. have you chosen today to look at for, as a hard verse?
1: Okay, this is a good one. And the reason I think this is a good one is because this is one that on the surface appears to be so clear that you would think there'd be just no debate whatsoever. <laughs> and it's the it's a classic passage that, that that the more fundamentalist Protestants will hurl at the Catholic Church, okay? And it's Matthew 23, verses eight and nine I'll read where Jesus is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees and he says, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brethren. So no one is to be called teacher. And then verse nine, and call no man on earth father, for you have one father who is in heaven okay and that's the one that i want to focus on at least to begin with call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven and so here here's a passage where <laughs> jesus i mean he just says it he says do not call any man on earth your father because we have one father who is in heaven and um you know as i said the more fundamentalist wing at least of, of various protestant denominations will take this one and pitch it at Catholics, saying, come on. I mean, this is this completely clear. And in fact, the fact that you guys insist upon calling your priest father it feels to them as though we're purposely trying to contradict Jesus' words, yeah. you know? We're just flatly contradicting Scripture and just blithely going forward without it, without a care.
0: Yeah, if you, if you have no history as to why priest came to be called father over time early in the church on if you have no history it does just like you said look like catholics just looked like they wanted to come up with some practice that would just stick the screwdriver into every the back of every protestant um, and well let me ask you this uh, as you look back you probably have a file cabinet full of old sermon notes like I do if, if this were a verse that came up on a Sunday for you to did you ever preach on this passage to your congregation?
1: I don't remember preaching on it. I know. You know, the Bible's a big book. (laughs) Right. And I was was an expository preacher, so I was one of those guys that would— say, you know, for the next six months, we're in the book of Ephesians, you know, and yeah. you don't get very far, you know, you don't cover much of the Bible, even in many years of being a pastor when you preach that right. way.
0: And, and which is good, because if you had chosen Matthew, of course, by the time you get to 23, Jesus will have come again, because that takes a long time to preach through Matthew. <laughs> but yes. but you're exactly yes. right. So all of a sudden, then on this Sunday or whatever, you come across this verse That you got to prepare for. It's Monday, you're preparing for next Mm -hmm. Sunday. Okay, what do I have to do next? And you ask your secretary, Oh, you're in Matthew 23. So you look at it, and it says, But you are not to call rabbis, be called rabbis, for you are one teacher, you you are all brethren, and call no man your father on earth. I mean, what would we have said to our Presbyterian or Baptist congregations unless we assumed that it was a call to ridicule Catholics?
1: I mean, it, yeah, you know, when I ask that when I asked that question, I'm not sure because I because I say to myself, okay, if I had been preaching on this, then I would have looked at some commentaries and I would have examined it closely. So I don't really know what I would have said, but I do know this: that when I was becoming a Catholic, the first time I heard this verse, it didn't strike me as, oh my, how am I going to get around that? Yeah. You know, that was just sort of my initial my my initial feeling was that this did pose a problem.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Cause I know you, you've, you've made some notes to follow, but let me ask you this. I mean, really sincerely, if we try and imagine back to when you were a Baptist pastor and I was a Presbyterian and we were thinking about preparing to speak on this church, even though I was from, from a cradle anti-Catholic and you probably were too, I would never from the pulpit have been critical of the Catholic church. I, wouldn't, I never was. And so I would not have. I would have looked at this passage, and you know what? Wouldn't we have recognized then, in fact, what you're going to talk about? Would we not have recognized that?
1: Yeah, I think I, I kind of think that I would have because I'm 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 like you are saying. Um, I had um, I had begun to. I had begun to travel out to a benedictine monastery in the high desert outside of Los Angeles for spiritual retreats in fact for years and years before I ever even thought about Catholicism Um, I just loved being there I love the the you know I love chanting the Psalms I love being there and and also being pretty active in the pro-life movement you know I ran into Catholics all the time and so so I'm like you on that you know I had a feeling that these are my brothers and sisters and I don't think I would have bashed them although if someone asked me flat out what about the theology of the catholic church i would have said oh they they're nuts they're crazy you know they're yep. they're a cult or something probably but i didn't i didn't preach against catholicism i wasn't doing that
0: i mean i'm trying to imagine if i were in the pulpit preaching on this passage and looking down in front of me and and my father happened to be visiting that day well what would i say you know here's this verse with jesus saying and there's my dad <laughs> or my grandfather, or there in the congregation, I would have immediately thought, I'm sure you would have too, immediately would have said, wait a second, as I look around the congregation, there are dozens, dozens father. of fathers. In fact, Father's Day is coming up here real quick, uh, in our well, real time. I
1: think, is, <laughs> I think this is one of the first hints that we get, that Jesus cannot have meant, that uh, It can't be the case that he was making this absolute prohibition of the use of the word father or the use of the word teacher. Um, You know, again, because if you try to apply that just in a rigid, literal kind of fashion, you run into all sorts of absurdities. You know, hey, um, father, um, can I ask you a question? Son, don't call me father. You cannot call me father. (laughs) Why, why, dad? Don't use dad either, because dad and father are pretty much (laughs) equivalent. You know, well, what are you going to what can I call you, Dad? Don't, I, you know, didn't I say Jesus said? You know, you, you find yourself just tied up in knots. You know, what are you going to call your father? Now, Protestants obviously call their father's father and call their dad's dad, and, and they do it without even flinching. So they cannot believe, you know, what comes down to it, that Jesus was really making an absolute statement here. And the same with teachers.
0: Yeah, in fact, it, the reason Jesus said that they're not to be called rabbis in verse 8 is because mm-hmm. they're, they're no longer going to be jews they're going to be christians so they're called teachers not rabbis that's a jewish term you know i'm being facetious yeah, there i mean that's yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but that's yeah. akin to the way i've heard some fundamentalists deal with difficult passages the the, the teacher yeah. that taught me preaching in seminary would share his funny stories about preaching and he told the story about one time driving in a car in the south listening to the radio and heard a radio preacher and, and the preacher was preaching on the passage where Jesus says to his apostles that they are not to be concerned about the leaven of the Pharisees. They're not to be worried about the leaven of the Pharisees. And then my teacher said he had to pull the car over because he couldn't, he, he was laughing so hard because the preacher said the reason you aren't to worry about the leaven of the Pharisees is because there's 12 of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> So one way around hard passages is Uh to not get it at all, to not understand that rabbi means teacher, that fathers have the full meaning of what you're talking about. So talk about that. So how do we get, how do we deal with this passage?
1: Well, first of all, I guess the point that I was just making is that common sense begins to tell us right away that Jesus cannot be uh, that his words shouldn't be taken in just a flatly literal kind of way because it because we run into absurdities like you can't call your dad dad you can't call your father father kids going to school can't call their teachers teacher anymore uh, they have to call them something else you know uh, someone who teaches but you're not a teacher but you're someone who teaches you know it, it, it just becomes crazy but the second point that i would make is simply that if we try to take Jesus in a literal fashion like that, we run into contradictions even within the New Testament, because the Apostle Paul jumps right up and calls himself a teacher. I have a couple of verses here. Here's one. Paul refers to himself as a teacher in 2 Timothy 1.11. He says, for this gospel, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And then Paul goes on to say that God has appointed teachers in the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, God has appointed in the church apostles and prophets and teachers. And, you know, as you know, there are many passages like that where Paul describes himself as a teacher and describes and, and describes the fact that God has given teachers to the church. So you don't only run into absurdities when you try to take Jesus' words literally, but you run into contradictions. Within the New Testament, are you looking up a passage you want to read?
0: Yeah, I was trying to get the one where is it First Corinthians four?
1: Um, yeah, I rattled off a couple. First um, Corinthians twelve twenty eight is where Paul says that God has appointed in the church apostles, prophets, oh. and teachers. Well, what I was twenty eight, but he says it in other places too.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about, and maybe you're going to get to this. I'm sorry if I jumped ahead, but in First right. Corinthians uh, four fifteen
1: where he says, yeah, himself a father, right? Yeah. Yes. Go
0: ahead. Well, yeah. go ahead. And I'll let you reflect on it. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel.
1: Yes. So, so again, the first hint that Jesus shouldn't be taken just in, in a strictly literal fashion is that you run into the absurdities we talked about. I think the second hint and that is more, more than a hint is you have flat out contradictions, Paul refers, himself, refers to himself as, as the father of these converts. He has no problem referring to Timothy as his child and Titus as his child or his true son in the faith. Um, John speaks of his disciples as little children. I mean, it's all through the New Testament, in other words, where the apostles think of themselves clearly as spiritual fathers and refer to themselves as that. Um, so, so when you look at those points, You have to think that Jesus must be using hyperbole. He must be using an exaggerated form of speech in order to make a point. That he doesn't mean literally that, even though he speaks so literally, he he doesn't mean literally that you should call no man on earth your father from this day forward. And he doesn't mean that you should call no man on earth teacher. He just doesn't mean that. He's using an exagger. I mean, he's using exaggeration to make a point, which we can get back to in a moment. That you know, the question: Well, what was was the point? Right. But can can you think of some other way, uh, illustrations of how Jesus does this, or where Jesus uses exaggeration?
0: Well, the ones. Because this
1: not the only place.
0: I'd say the the ones that come closest to mind, which uh, you probably uh, on your list uh, are the ones, the two that. Uh, to me, are hard verses anyway, mm-hmm. unless you understand. Well, the first is the one about cutting out, poking out your eye and cutting out your hand. If mm-hmm. your eye causes you to sin, or if your hand causes you to sin, well, it's better to go into hell maimed, uh, better to go into heaven maimed than to go into hell uh, with allowing your eyes and hands to cause you to sin. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. So what does he mean by that? And and we know of people, we've heard in the news of people that take that seriously and have done that. Um, uh, There's also the verses where Jesus tells people to hate their parents, to hate their family, to hate their friends, to love Jesus, but to hate your friends. And, you know, if if that were done by a politician in our country, we would think that guy's crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or anybody. But Jesus says this. So how do we take that? And so... Well, the get, first one, Go ahead, Ken. Yeah,
1: go ahead. Sorry. No. I was just going to say, the first one about the eyes and the hands, I wanted to ask you a question, because maybe you know, has there ever been even the, the smallest sect within Christianity that, that took that literally and performed it? Or do you think it's just sort of a someone here and someone there in the history of the church? I'm just wondering, because... Well, you would think there would be someone who would say, hey, this is literal. We need to take this literally.
0: Well, actually, the first thing that comes up to my mind in terms of a sect that takes Jesus seriously is those who take Mark 16, 17, and following seriously, when Jesus said, And these signs will accompany those who believe mm-hmm. in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. And it, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So, I mean, there are very fundamental snake handlers.
1: Yeah, right, right. That
0: took that right. to be serious. Right. But again, it's a hard verse because Jesus, was he speaking hyperbole there? Because he's also talking about tongues and healing and other parts that we believe are gifts of the spirit for the church.
1: Yeah, that's that's the hardest one of the of all that we're talking about because the other ones are, you know, at least it's not difficult to understand them as cases of, of um, hyperbole. Jesus right. says, pluck out your eye, tear off your arm. If the If Christians were to take that, in a strictly literal fashion, we'd all be walking around, you know, with eye sockets empty and arms laying on the ground. Um, and then the other one you mentioned, too, about hating your parents, yeah. that one is kind of easy to understand, too, when you think about it, because Jesus also taught that the greatest commandment of all was summarized, you know, was to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor. So, you know, so love your neighbor as yourself and then, oh, by the way, hate your family. So, uh, you know, that was not that difficult either to understand that he's, using an exaggerated form of speech to make the point that your love for God should be so primary in your life that God should be first that by comparison you could speak of hating your father and your mother and your family and all that. Um
0: you know I just thought of another example. I'm trying to find it here. Um, you know
1: where Jesus I like the one I like the one where he tells you to have parties and never invite your family. Yeah. <laughs> That's in Luke chapter 14. <laughs> Verse 12, he said also to the men who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your (laughs) brothers or your kinsmen or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And I'm trying to imagine a situation because, okay, because obviously, again, there's no Protestant denomination, whatever they say about this passage, call no man father. And therefore, we Catholics are contradicting Jesus' words. There's no Protestant denomination on earth that has a practice of never inviting their families to a party they give, never inviting their friends, never yeah. inviting their brethren. You know, you, know, you know, I was joking with you before the show, but I'm trying to imagine your kids looking at pictures of your birthday parties and saying, Dad, well, no, they can't say Dad, I forgot, but saying, Marcus, <laughs> how come we never see... Us in in these you know in your birthday parties. How come we never see anyone that we know? There's no family. There's no friends. There's and then you respond, "Well, Jesus commanded us, and that's why everyone at every party I've ever had has been a stranger that we scraped in off the street." Uh, let well, me. What were you looking at?
0: Uh, another hard one, Matthew 19. Um, it doesn't come out quite as. A demand, but he says, not all men can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given for there are eunuchs who have been sold from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He was able to receive this let and received it. Well, origin, tradition has it, yeah. made himself a eunuch by castrating himself so that he could, I guess, free himself from temptation. But there's the words of Jesus. There are people who've made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Seems like justification. We'll
1: see. Like I guess <laughs> what? Yeah. What this says to me is that it's 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 not that easy to interpret Scripture. And people who want to stand on Scripture alone, you know, the the Bible is my sole authority for faith and life and all that. Um, have a difficult time because it's, it's just not that straightforward it's not that plain it's not that obvious in all cases and especially when you have something occur just one time like this passage about eunuch if jesus had talked about the same subject three or four or five times and said different th- things then maybe you could kind of piece it together but i guess my best guess in just looking at that is that he wasn't referring to a physical eunuch but maybe he was just saying people who who live a celibate life you know they right.
0: That's how it's you know, been interpreted, and, yeah. and you're, getting, yeah. you're getting to the right point, that we do need a trustworthy—I mean, you have, were a pastor, and I was a pastor, and, and I, I know this was a part of my own journey to the Catholic Church, and it probably was for you, because the pressure of being a preacher and recognizing the responsibility— Remember, uh, Jesus said it's better to have a a mill wheel put around your neck and be thrown in the lake than to mislead these little ones. And so our responsibility as pastors, when we stood before our congregation with the word of God that we believe is infallible and inspired by God, to make sure that we're teaching what's true because our people, who are busy folk, trust that we've done our homework. And when we encounter verses like we just talked about, or there's a verse where Paul tells Timothy to always drink a little bit of wine with his water. Well, is that literal? Does he mean for every Christian from now on to always drink wine? Or verses before that, he says, do not be drunk with wine. So how do you put the two together? You know, there there are all those scriptures, um, you know, should women wear hairnets? Are women not to speak in the church? That's Paul giving his commands. You know, how do we understand those things? So, Ken, how do we talk then about, okay, how do we move forward with these verses of hyperbole? Why would he have said what he said about teachers and fathers?
1: Well, the, here's something that comes to me, is that as I, as I read the Gospels and then I read the epistles, the New Testament letters, it does seem that Jesus commonly spoke in hyperbole in a way more than the, more than the other New Testament authors, at least that I can tell, um, this seems to be, have been a favored way. You know, as, as Jesus used um, parables, he spoke in hyperbole. And what I would say is, what did Jesus mean when he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, chop it off. I, w- I would think what he meant to say was, we should take sin very, very seriously. Sin is serious, and we want to avoid it at all costs. And that's basically what he's trying to communicate there, not that we should chop off our hands, not that we should, you know, ca- cast our eyes away, but maybe something like if there's something in our life that we know is a temptation for us, we should get rid of it. Um, if there's some relationship that we have in our life that we know is a temptation for us, we should cut it off. When when Jesus told the Pharisees um, that when they have a party that they should only invite strangers. I think that what he was trying to communicate, he's talking to people who maybe all they cared about was their friends, and all they cared about was you know uh, blessing one another and slapping one another on the back. And he's trying to communicate to them, no, you know, reach outside yourself and care for others. And so he says it, you know, he communicates that in an exaggerated fashion by saying, when you have a party, don't invite your family, don't invite invite your friends. And following that kind of logic, I would say that when Jesus said, call no man teacher, call no man on earth, your father, he's speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. He's speaking to people who lived and breathed to receive the blessing of men and to give the blessing of men, to be like backslapping politicians who are, you know, praising one another constantly and all that. And he's in, in an exaggerated fashion. I think he's just trying to communicate, listen you know, um, get away from that pride because your true teacher is God uh, who you don't, who I don't think you care about and you don't listen to and your true father is in heaven who you don't really pay attention to. That kind of thing. You know, you could use your own words, you know, but that's basically it.
0: You know, when you think about it, Ken, and and you and I have both been on a journey where we didn't expect coming into the Catholic faith. When you study church history, um, you recognize that from the beginning, maybe the longest standing problem has in the church has always been <clears throat> church leaders, pastors, priests, bishops, even popes, and laity, of course, who've not lived the faith very well. And many times, it's a problem of clericalism. It's, it's men who are raised to the position of leadership who forget that it's about service, and they are tempted to believe it's about themselves and they wallow in mm-hmm. the greatness. And we know that it was tempted, even the apostles themselves, because we read <clears throat> in Mark nine, when Jesus says, Hey, what what were you guys discussing along the way? And they, and they were silent for on the way they had discussed with one another, who was the greatest. So, I mean, from the very beginning, there's that temptation. Mm-hmm. And so, Uh, And certainly I'm not implying at all that this is of the majority of priests and bishops and popes. I'm not meaning that. But you and I both know that one of the reasons many non-Catholics are not open to the Catholic Church is because we look in history and we see leaders who've not been very faithful. And part of the problem is, is they get, um, they balloon up in their pride about being called father. They balloon up in their pride about being called rabbi. In fact, not only by being called those things, but they call themselves those things. And that's their Mm -hmm. image, who they are, and they forget that to call to follow Jesus Christ is one of surrender. It's one of he must increase, I must decrease. That's the content. There's the point. Uh, Even a real father, you and I are both real fathers. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean we have a right to lord it over our children because Paul warns in Ephesians that we are not to exacerbate our children we are we are called to love them and care for them and and remember that being a father is like our heavenly Father I mean all that's in the context of that passage that you're talking about yeah
1: in fact I think that by you turning to Mark 9 I think you're you're hitting the nail exactly on the head because in the passage we started with um Matthew 23 if I can find it again in Matthew 23. Right after Jesus says, call no man on earth your father, for you have one father. He says, neither be called masters, for you have one master. And then verse 11, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's how he concludes it, which uh, confirms what you're saying exactly, that that's the meaning of the passage. That's, That's the true meaning of it. So, as you
0: said, there's the two sides of that. There's for non-Catholic Christians, on the one hand, to recognize that that, that passage really is not a, a solid critique of the Catholics uh, in calling priests or bishops or father or even the head of the church papa, which is father. Yeah. Uh, but it's—and it's, then, then there's the reminder to Catholics— and priests and bishops and popes to remember that the idea of being called father is a reminder of the humility that mm-hmm. should go with that title
1: mm-hmm.
0: and mea copa when we fail to do that uh, and that's really what exactly. Christ was, was beginning his apostles off hopefully on the right foot is what he was trying to do and uh, so Ken exactly. thanks thank you my friend for oh. that wonderful discussion and um uh, and for those of you that are involved with the social media, with the Coming Home Network, you may run into Ken, because he's now coordinating a lot of that work on the on the internet and the community. So, Ken, it's good to have you on board.
1: Yeah, thanks, Marcus. It's good to do this. Let's do it again. Let's do
0: it again. Again, thank, thank all of you for joining us on Deep in Scripture, deepinscripture.com. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to us at questions at deepinscripture.com. And uh, we'd love to hear for you on, on our Facebook page or Twitter at CH Network. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. See you again next week.